Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we're continuing our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 29. In the previous episode, we had a lot of big passages that we discussed. We had that famous verse when Jesus called to his disciples, asking them to follow him and that he will make them fishers of men, and how we related that to the illustration of fishing and how that takes skill and taking the next step forward, and Jesus was calling them to uh, become more advanced in their relationship with him as they learn what it means to be uh, catchers of men for the kingdom yeah. rather than just witnesses and observers of his miracles and what he's doing. And then he yeah. went on to Capernaum and he went back into the synagogue to teach. And again, we saw the amaze, amazing quality of his interpretation of the Torah, his authority with the scriptures, how he didn't need to rely on the the scribes, the rabbis before him to be able to interpret God's wisdom. It almost seemed like it was coming from him of his own accord. And there's a lot of pictures that we've talked about on why that is. Uh, And then sometime after that, in the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean spirit. And this spirit recognized who Jesus was, the Holy One of God. And we have this really cool image of almost painting you back to Genesis 1 of Jesus' authority just within his own words to be able to speak something and the the end result or the creation of that effect happening afterwards. In this case, the spirit leaving that man uh, and the man you know, having no harm because of it. Then we left off with um, everyone being amazed at that and then Jesus going to Simon Peter and Andrew's house. Uh, from the synagogue. Yeah, we're into some of the really good parts of the stories now. It's not that we haven't been already, but you know, it's, it's, it just keeps getting better. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Haymaker after haymaker. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, uh, I say we do it. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the first little bit we're going to be looking at, uh, this is Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Mark chapter 1 verses 30 to 34, and Luke chapter 4 will do the last part of verse 38 through verse 41. Just check your show notes for that PDF. It's got all the, the details of those broken up. Yeah, yeah, good I, good call. Um, I think I'm going to only read the Mark one because there, there are a lot of similarities here. It just happens to have some good detail we'll talk about. And then, you know, we'll... we'll See what we see. So Mark 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 30. Here we go. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, They brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak 
because they knew him. Okay. Oh, there, boy, there's a lot in here. Let's uh, <laughs> see if we can work our way through this. Uh, number one, here's this seems like kind of an interesting point. I don't know if you remember, Samuel, and I don't have the reference in front of me, but remember back in John's gospel at some point, they referred to Bethsaida as the city of Andrew and Peter? Mm-hmm. Kind of ring a bell? Yeah. Well, here we're in Capernaum. And this is, you know, Peter's business, his home. They're all now in Capernaum. And so, uh, I mean, I don't think there's any chance that this is any sort of discrepancy or anything like that. It's probably something more along the lines of maybe Peter's child at home was back in Bethsaida, something like that. And now he lives in Capernaum as an adult with his wife, or maybe that's where it was an advantage to have his business there or something like that. But, you know... People are going to look and they're going to say, but I thought it was Bethsaida. No, it's Capernaum. And then it's like, well, okay, it says both <laughs> and it's okay, right? The funny thing is, now remember, uh, they they were leaving the synagogue. It was the Sabbath and we were even suggesting, you know, they're probably going home for the Sabbath meal, the afternoon meal. Well, when they get there, the problem is Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Now, Mark and Luke tell it as if, you know, they told Jesus about her. But I want to show you something kind of cool, Samuel. Matthew says, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick. And it seems like the tiniest little thing, but all throughout your Bible, you're going to find many of these little uh, hints back to the garden. And I don't know if you remember, Samuel, In Genesis 1, every time God finished doing something, he He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. And then we get into the garden, and what did Eve do? She saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and good for food. Yeah. So, all through your Bible, you're going to find these little places where it seems like the author is purposely using that phrase that someone saw something to show when God sees, that is, when he's defining good and evil, it's good. God sees correctly. When humans see, they usually mess it up. They're trying to define good and evil for themselves, and they get it wrong. Yeah, not that we're not capable of repeating what God was doing in the creation stories, just we have that other tendency within us too to mess it up. Exactly. And that's a good point. We have to remember, boy, I'm so glad you brought that up. So many churches, so many sermons, so many whatever, people, they get this idea in their head that we are incapable of choosing good and of doing right unless, you know, it's completely the Holy Spirit doing the work in us or something like that. It's that idea of, uh, you know, my righteousness is as filthy rags or whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, compared to Christ, okay, I'll give you that. But you got to remember, you can choose the good. It's the very thing that God commands to do. It's the very thing that you're expected to do. And, and, and I'm actually talking about in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a very real thing. That's the, the, the purpose of free will is, is getting in line with God or not, right? It's, so yeah, great picture, Samuel. But 
getting back to the idea about he saw, she saw, whatever, throughout mm-hmm. all the scriptures, this is another example, at least I think it is, Jesus enters Peter's house and he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And so Jesus is seeing very much the way God saw. Jesus sees correctly and he's going to do, I'm going to call it the God thing or the image of God thing. And what is that? Well, he heals her. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just a cool picture. Yeah, it should be comforting for a lot of people too to think about potentially so many other people connected to your life that may not understand you or the things that you struggle with. I mean, it's a probably a conviction and a comfort at the same time. Like God knows intimately when you're not on his path, but then when you feel like you're alone and that people don't understand your pain or your, you know, heartache or your challenges or your sickness, like, you know, that God's narrative says that he truly understands and sees that. So I don't know. I just wanted to reiterate that to the listeners that it definitely can be a comfort if you rest in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so so Jesus, yeah, I mean, it. it's like he's led to this act of mercy by what he sees. This is a beautiful picture. But then there's something interesting. And I didn't read all three, so we kind of have to point this out. One version says that Jesus touched her hand. Another version says he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And Luke even says that he stood over her and rebuked the fever. So, Samuel, I ask you, which one was it? <laughs> uh, take your pick. <laughs> yeah, they can't all be right, right? So it's it's just a very interesting thing, but it takes us back to that idea of witness testimony. If it was all 100% perfectly in sync, it would almost be less believable. But here we see real people. And you got to remember, Matthew, okay, he's Matthew the tax collector and he hung out with Jesus a lot, but he's not here yet. Mark wasn't there. He's getting this story from Peter, who was there. And Luke wasn't there. So they're relating these stories by what they hear. And so they're just, they're going to be different. Mark would be the closest thing to firsthand knowledge of the three, but all of them are, in a sense, secondhand. So just got to remember that. Uh, now, uh, let's see. Oh, well, okay. So there, I guess the other thing, remember, it could be the way they heard it, but remember, they're all trying to tell their own story, and so they're telling it in a way that fits their narrative, and so you're going to see some of that pop up sometimes. I don't know if that necessarily matters here, but that's a thing. But the the amazing thing is that when he heals her, she wastes no time. As soon as she feels better, boom, she starts serving. Now, Samuel, what do you think she's serving? Probably the Shabbat dinner. Yeah, the afternoon Sabbath meal, right? (laughs) That's what they went there for. And she just, well, I feel better. Let me have at it. It's just, it's a great picture. Well, and I think there might be a small little nugget there in thinking about what the the end result of God doing, or in, in this case, God working through Messiah, doing a miracle or blessing others, what its end result is. Um, it's almost like how a, you you observe the flow of a waterfall from its source to where it's going, like God blessed Simon Peter's mother-in-law with her health, and she turns around from that blessing to go and serve others. 
in this case in the sabbath meal so it's like i don't know it's this really cool picture of like the point of receiving healing and blessing is not to just keep it in within yourself not that there's anything wrong with cherishing it but to reciprocate that turn that around to be able to bless someone else who is suffering or you know needs alleviation in their life yeah 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 even even uh people outside the church they got that whole pay it forward thing going whatever i mean you see the image it's it's all good it's good all right so we got that that was kind of cool another thing that they say in here and this is stuff we read over it says that evening or when the sun was setting was when everybody came to the house. What day is this, Samuel? Wouldn't this be Friday night? Uh, it's probably Saturday night. Okay. So they're ending okay. the Sabbath. Gotcha. They're ending the Sabbath at sundown, and people wait. It's Sabbath, so, you know, let's not go over there quite yet, but when the sun's going down, then they all go to the house. I, I just think that's a funny picture. They're waiting till Sabbath is over, and it, you know, you get the idea that they don't want to, in some way, violate or profane the Sabbath, even by going to see this guy. Which and is we saw cool. that in the story with the man with the bedroll in the commandments in the Torah about not leaving so far away from your home on the Sabbath. So right, it connects right to this too. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there were lots of limitations about what you could do. So yeah, it, it's just a, it's a cool picture. Uh, another thing in here. Uh, what does it say? And the whole city was gathered together at the door. We haven't done this one for a while, Samuel. Hyperbole? <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, probably. But we know what he's saying. We understand the, the message that's going here. We just need to, you know, be careful not to take it too literally. And then this is a funny thing, too. I, I picked up on this when I was reading through. First of all, it says the whole city was gathered. And then, like in Mark, it's down to verse 34, and it says, And he healed many who were sick, and he cast out many demons. Well, does that mean he cast out, you know, many of them, but not all of them? Or he healed many of them, but not all of them? Or is it just meaning, uh, no, he healed, you know, many, a great number. It, it, it was all of them, but it was, it was many. It was a great number. Mm-hmm. And the reason I ask is because there are some people who actually pick on little bits like that, and they're trying to show, well, why didn't Jesus heal them all? What was the problem, right? But, but we don't get that sense from this text at all. In fact, if you look at, for example, Matthew, he says, you know, they came to his house, and he uh, cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. And he laid, uh, this is Luke, he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. Right, so I don't, I don't think we have an example of you know Jesus only doing some and not all. It just, it reads like he did them all. Well, and it could also be that like all who came to Jesus who were sick, there was not one left out who did not receive healing from him. Yeah. Like he was thorough to address every person who made the effort to come to him in that moment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and then. Luke says that he laid his hands on every one of them. Now, first of all, we think a little bit about laid his hands. Uh, this goes back to um, like the the temple imagery, mm-hmm. and and Leviticus. when you yeah you lay your hands on an animal, you're you're 
uh, imparting your own identity onto someone else, right? Well, this, I guess, maybe that's kind of in play here, but I, I don't think so. I think this the fact that he laid his hands on them is much more an image of the personal nature of what Jesus is doing with these people, the compassionate nature. He could have just spoke nothing else, just, just, just words. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He actually, he touches them. Very personal. Each individual, apparently, according to, to Luke, it's, I don't know, I love it. It's, it's just a beautiful and intimate picture to me. So I love that. Especially in that culture when those who were sick and had diseases, at least within the Levitical system, being ceremonially unclean, that prevented people from being near them like physically in their actual literal space. So it probably was yeah. a very intimate type of thing for a person to ex- experience physical touch after either a temporary amount of time or extended amount of time being isolated from other people. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk a lot more about that because that's actually coming up in a few verses. So that's very good. Uh, what do we call that? Uh, it's not really a segue. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, you're being a prophet today, Samuel. Let's call it that. <laughs> what the heck? Everybody else is willing to say it. Why shouldn't you be? <laughs> All right. Uh, so what's another thing? Jesus prevents the demons from speaking. Okay, now get the picture here, Samuel. I mean, number one, he's preventing the demons from speaking. Okay, Jesus, he doesn't want them proclaiming him as Messiah or Son of God. Right, and and we've already talked about this idea of Jesus kind of wanting to keep under the radar. Okay, and I'm sure that's a very real thing. Um, but I heard Daniel Lancaster say something I thought was really funny. He goes, "Well, and who wants the testimony of demons on their behalf? Right? Who wants the testimony of a bunch of liars? Mm-hmm. Right? And I just think that's such a, a a funny and unique way of looking at it because it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah." Why would you believe a bunch of demons? You don't want them, you know, appearing to be on your side. That's actually worse for you than better for you, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was good. But all of that together, it makes for such a strange mix because, I mean, you know, the whole city is at the house. He's healing all, exercising all by word alone or, you know, touching, depending on whose story you're believing. So all of this is going on. I mean, this has to be a just a great spectacle in their city. And at the same time, Jesus is preventing the demons from speaking. Don't proclaim me as Messiah or Son of God or whatever. It's just an, it's an odd picture. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I really enjoy reading through and seeing how these stories, they're not just nice and clean and perfect and orderly, and they just make absolute sense. They... They're odd. They're weird. Yeah. You know? They're meant to make you wrestle with them. Yeah, I, they really are. I mean, that is that is so, so true in the Old Testament. But I think when they wrote stuff, even though, like the Gospels, they may have had an idea that these would be saved and read by others and whatever. Maybe not Paul's letters so much. He may have not thought of them that way. Who knows? But it's like they're doing it on purpose. They want you to wrestle. Yeah. I love that. 
Uh, there was one other little bit. Matthew included a thing that none of the other guys did. This is in his, uh, what is this, chapter 8 and verse 17. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, if you've been paying attention, Matthew loves doing this. All the way through his gospel, he loves finding little spots and going, ah, this was to fulfill this, or this was to fulfill that. He loves going back. This one, very interesting. It goes back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, and he's trying to point us again to that suffering servant of Messiah. And this suffering servant was expected to, and maybe a more literal way of taking it is he was supposed to lift our sickness which in its day that that was painting the picture that he was going to take them upon himself. And the other thing is he was supposed to carry our sorrows. This is from Isaiah again, right? But it's the same kind of story. He's supposed to take them upon himself. So you see it, whether it's sickness or sorrows or whatever, he's taking them upon himself, even though, and this is important, They were actually Israel's due. That's what they should have expected or been fine with. Okay, that's fair, right? But Jesus takes them anyway. And of course, we're talking about Israel here, but that's very easy to roll forward and go, ah, it's the same way it works for Gentiles, you know, all that have been added in. Such a great picture. But Matthew, he just wants us to see this story and others like it, as that same suffering servant. He's making that connection. This person that you see, this Jesus, he is the Messiah, that suffering servant from Isaiah. Mm-hmm. It's a great picture. Now, I definitely see the aspect of, quote, lift our sicknesses in this story, but the yeah. aspect of like taking them upon himself, carrying the sorrows, like how do we see, how do we see that dynamically in this potential story, like, or is it meaning more later with him unjustly being killed uh, for our sake uh, is, is like taking it upon himself or is it like an emotional thing? Like he's relating to his people and, and empathizing emotionally with the sorrows. I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to think about how taking them upon himself, carrying them, in this instance, happens. Yeah. Well, I think for sure in this story, you can see the emphasis is on uh, the physical things, the sickness or disease or or whatever. Um, and the demonic thing, I, I don't know. I, I can talk myself into including that here or treating that like it's a little bit differently or whatever. But I have to say, just think. Have you ever just, I don't know, caught like, uh, you know, the three-day flu or something like that, Samuel? Mm-hmm. Just serious question. When you're in the middle of that, are you experiencing sorrow? Yeah. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> I got some serious sorrow going on right about then, Samuel. Mm-hmm. So imagine people who are dealing with, I don't know, some sort of disabilities or ongoing illnesses. Like, you know, remember, we're going to read about that woman with an issue of blood. She has it for like decades or something, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these things, sure, we can think very specifically about the physical malady, 
But all of these things, whether it's demonic or sickness or, or, or whatever it might be, you know that there's sorrow that comes with that. Now, that may be how we can kind of relate it to this story, seeing how he would not only lift their sickness, but also lift their sorrow. But then you also, you, you can step back and go, yeah, but in the big story, Jesus interacting with Israel, right? The, the, the whole story that we're only, you know, 20% through or 25% through or whatever, Israel lives in sorrow. Mm. They're, they're uh, a people that, you know, the Romans rule over them. They live in their cities and towns. They, they know all the promises, and yet they're not living them. There's sorrow in the fact that, let's call it, in their own failure. There's sorrow in you know, when God has promised, when is he going to answer this thing, right? All of that. So I think that you can get the, the individual story, like what we're looking at right here. You can see those things. But I think, you know, Matthew's laying it out as as like a connecting point, not just for this story, but for the for the whole story, all of it. Messiah is coming, and he is taking the sorrow away from Israel, and truly not just Israel, it's all of mankind, all of creation. Yeah. And the same thing, sicknesses, whatever. So I, I think it kind of does both. Did I really answer what you were asking? Yeah, I think so. I think it, it helps to see that distinction that it's all-inclusive, there's a physical aspect there's an emotional, a psychological, yeah. and then, you know, in the kingdom and world to come, there's going to be a spiritual aspect with, like, you know, resurrection and, you know, new life and everything. Yeah. Boy, you want to talk about taking all of our sickness and sorrow, wait till the kingdom and the world to come. I mean, it's good now, but wow. Yeah. And we're, man, we haven't, oh, we haven't talked a whole lot about that yet. I mean, we keep saying, hey, he's talking about kingdom, he's talking about kingdom, but... There's so much more to talk about there, but anyway, let's try to keep going through the text, because otherwise, they'll start in Matthew, and the next thing you know, we're talking about Revelation, so let's try and stay on topic. (laughs) All right, so the next bit, let's see, he's looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 38, and also Luke chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. And again, I'm going to read just the Mark one, because they're, they're very similar, and uh, I think this one's got enough of the detail. So here we go. Mark one thirty-five. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on. To the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Hmm. Okay. This is an interesting little picture. I mean, number one, remember, they waited till sundown before everybody showed up at the house. And then Jesus, he took the time to work with all of them. And there had to be a lot. I mean, you know, when you call it the whole city, you're trying to give the idea there's a lot. I bet you this thing went way late into the night. And yet, Jesus rises early in the morning because he wants to go pray. Got to spend time with his father. Now, 
little side note, Christian tradition suggests that Jesus actually went to where, remember I talked about those seven springs that got the warm water in the Sea of Galilee, all that? Mm-hmm. Christian tradition says that that's where he went. He used to go try to hide away to pray. True or false? I have no idea. But here's the thing. You know how we've talked about Sadducees, Pharisees, Zealots, Essenes, all that stuff? Mm-hmm. And we mentioned the Hasidim? Mm-hmm. Well, this behavior, this would have been very much in sync with the ways of the Hasidim, which is, I don't know, I just think that's a cool picture. Learn a little something about them. And then, I, 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 this is like a personal thing. This is the way it hits me, and I'm going to, you know, share it with you. We've, we know that disciples are supposed to imitate their master. In fact, probably we, we have difficulty even understanding it. It's radical imitation of their master. Yeah. But we, we are disciples of Christ. He is our master, and we should be learning how to radically imitate him. And here is this beautiful little picture of, you know, him rising early in the morning, going to pray, being alone, spending time with the Father. Now, I'm not like, you know, trying to put this on everybody. Hey, this is exactly the way you have to do it. I'm just saying, look at that image. Take that in and, and let that have some sort of influence in your life because it's a, it's, a, it's a great picture. Yeah, and before you move on, um, I know that you said that it was practiced among the Hasidim, but mm-hmm. I would argue that in general within the Jewish faith that this is a, a common aspect of particularly God God's dynamic with humanity depending on the time of day. I have a couple references in uh, corresponding Midrash that uh-huh. go with that. In Exodus 34, whenever um, the two tablets are re-given to Israel through Moses back on Sinai in Thirty Exodus 34, this is uh, verse 2, God is telling Moses, so be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on top of the mountain. And the, the rabbis in a Midrash were just saying that they were just focusing on the aspect that it seems like a lot of times God is particularly active in the morning to prayers to faithfulness uh and then even david in the psalms this is psalms 5 3 he says the same thing in the morning O lord you will hear my voice in the morning i will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch so take that for what you will i'm just saying that they seem to notice that in the scriptures and try to you know if if they have a chance to be able to interact with the god of you know, the universe, and that comes in the morning, they're going to do that. So I don't know. Yeah. It's a call to us, too. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a great picture. Yeah, I just don't want to, I mean, you know, people's lifestyles are different, all that kind yeah. of stuff. I don't no want somebody to be listening and going, well, Paul and Samuel said I had to, you know. If you're like, not a morning person, you're you're fine. Just Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, a, it's just such a cool little picture. I love it. Yeah, that's good, Samuel. Those are good additions. So... Now, now think about this, though. So he's going away. He's stealing away time alone. He wants to pray. And Simon and others are searching for him. But notice, they had to get up and realize that he was gone. So it's like, he's, he's the first guy up and out of there, right? And you got to think from their perspective. Now, I'm going to tease and use, you know, common, common day lingo. 
hey, man, the, the revival meeting is going great. So we need Jesus to come back and keep doing what he's doing, right? And of course, they, they would never think of it that way. But that's the, 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 kind of, the kind of dynamic that's probably going on here. And, and in the middle of it, and this just caught me, Mark says, everyone is looking for you. Obviously, in the middle of this story, that just makes sense. But just stop for a second, Samuel, back away from the whole story, the whole Bible, the whole everything, and just think about that statement. Somebody is looking Jesus in the eye and he says, Everyone is looking for you. And that is like this universal. I don't care who you are, I don't care where you are, I don't care when you are, whatever. That's just true. Everyone Hmm. is looking for Jesus, Messiah, God, however you want to say it, even if they don't know it. Hmm. It's just, I don't know. I I thought that was neat when I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they, they do all this stuff, and then they want him to come back, And but look at what Jesus does. He wants to stay on mission. He wants to go to the surrounding towns. He wants to preach and proclaim something. And in fact, he says, that's why he's here. I was sent for this purpose. It's why I came out. The very reason that Jesus was sent, the very reason he was here is preaching the good news, that is the gospel, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke says it explicitly in verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. So all I can say is, see, we're not making this up. Jesus, the gospel message, it's about the kingdom. So we need to understand. Understanding the gospel, is it's important for understanding even who we are to be as Christians. It should I guess in some ways even revolutionize the way that we understand certain phrases in in Scripture, like the the one that always pops in my head is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or maybe even the prayer. Um, uh, Samuel, do the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Put me on the spot. Uh, I know it's, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, Give- that yeah, that's the good important part. Yeah. So, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is such an important part of the picture, the idea of the kingdom, and especially, we're, we've talked about it some, we're going to talk about it more, the idea of the now and the not yet. We've got to get this in our head. We've got to understand the priority it was for Jesus so that we can make it a similar priority for us. Yeah. And then if anybody's questioning or wrestling with, well, why did Jesus heal some who were there, you know, or all who came that first day, but then the second day people who came and he didn't stay. But if if he was going to stay and heal everyone, that that would it would just be the kingdom and right he he's doing those yeah. things as a yeah. as a shadow a foretaste of what it's going to be in its fullness. And, I mean, granted, we don't know why God would allow, you know, people to continue to bear those things in on this side of 
you know, eternity, but we know that like ultimately they're going to get that lifted if oh, they yeah. didn't in that sense. So, um, just to keep that in mind that I don't, there's nothing malignant going on. It's just, he had to choose some to be the witnesses and then continue on until it all comes to fullness. Yeah. He just, he had to keep moving, you know, this, I mean, the, I don't know. It's, it's a good point. And it's, uh, pictures like that, they, they raise difficulties in our mind mm-hmm. and, you know, we can't get around that. It's just a thing. So, okay. So we're kind of at the end of a section here. Um, and I want to bring up, I kind of want to remind us, uh, uh, we remember there was a part of Luke, I think it was chapter five, like verses one through 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that. And we kind of moved him around so that the story of the miraculous catch was a little earlier on. If we were using Luke's chronology, that actually would have happened right here. And so I just wanted to point that out because some people actually think that that's the better way. So, you know, whatever. I'm, they could be right. We could be right. Who knows? The thing that I wanted to point out, though, is just that if, if Luke's chronology is, is correct, then what it would suggest is that right here, when Jesus is saying, let us go on to the next towns, the disciples didn't go. Jesus would have had to go by himself, and then he came back, they were out fishing, they did the miraculous catch, and then they joined him. Hmm. The way we told the story, they'd already done all of that, so when Jesus says, let's go, they go. So, I'm not saying that it's necessarily right or wrong either way. That was just a little more explanation of to why we kind of switched it around a little bit because it made more sense. Gotcha. Anyway, you can take your pick. <laughs> but now let's go on. Uh, we're ready to move on to like the next section. And so, uh, of course, they're not seeing the sections the way we are, Samuel. So I guess it sounds dumb to them, but whatever. So this next bit, um, we're going to read... Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, and the the only matching bit is a little tiny bit from Mark chapter 1, verse 39. And so Mark just simply says, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So very, very short there from Mark, but let's listen to uh, Matthew's version. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Wow. I mean, this is, you know, first century rock star status, right? Yeah, it's getting big. Yeah. And now there's a couple things, though, I want you to notice. Jesus isn't proclaiming and preaching out in nature. In, in this little bit. So he's talking about him running around to the synagogues. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't do any of that. I'm just saying, notice 
that the story, the emphasis, it's all about being in the synagogues. He's going to these towns and he's teaching in the synagogues. And it's important that we get that in our heads so that when we think about Jesus walking around on the earth, we don't just see him out in a field or out by a sea. He's in the synagogues. It's important. It's an important picture. And then, one more time, notice what he's proclaiming, the gospel of the kingdom, Mm. the good news of the kingdom. It's very consistent, and it's very prominent at this early stage in our walk through the gospels. It's foundational stuff. So, now I got another question, though, Samuel. Okay. We just talked about, they were at Peter's house, and they healed, you know, pretty much everybody, the whole city, if you listen to, you know, whatever. And now they go to this, they're going around to these other towns, and and we got people coming from all over. They're coming from Syria and Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the Jordan, everywhere, and Jesus is healing everybody. So, Samuel, does everybody have faith? Does everybody believe except those in Nazareth? (laughs) That seems a little fishy. Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? So, now, again, Matthew says he's healing every. Well, and I think the way you talked about it before is is probably a good thing. Everyone who showed up, but that doesn't necessarily mean everyone in the region, mm-hmm. right? So I guess on one hand, you got to say, well, there can't be much unbelief, but I think we need we just need to go back and say, you know what? We, we got to add this to our mental image of how it is that belief and miracles relate to one another, interact, whatever. It's just not as simple as it may look in certain scriptures. It's just a, I don't know, it, to, to, to continue to fill out that picture in your mind, seeing how sometimes they talk about it and it just seems like it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what's going on, with whatever. boom, Jesus just heals everything. And then you have stories kind of like the one from Nazareth where it seemed like unbelief was getting in the way and and we just need to continue building that image in our heads. Now, uh, interestingly, Mark only mentions the little bit about casting out demons. He doesn't say even, he doesn't even say anything about sick people or any of that, right? And this is, I think, some people they go back and uh, I think we talked about this, Samuel. How sometimes, uh, whether it was sickness or paralysis or whatever, there were many first century Judaism who believed that, oh, you know what? That was the influence of demons also. Mm-hmm. And then when they actually had people who were, call it oppressed or possessed or whatever, well, okay, obviously that was also work of demons. So they they kind of, uh, it was very popular to attribute everything to demons. And so some suggest that that's why Mark didn't mention anything more. Could be true, I don't know. The thing is, Jesus is kind of healing and fixing everything. And uh, just as a reminder, we need to we need to see this a certain way. Uh, when Jesus does miracles, Samuel, what are we to take this as? A sign of sign of the kingdom. Yeah, because he is the king, and it's like it's like the the endorsement from God, if you will. This is the king, and when he talks about the kingdom, he knows what he's talking about, and it's it's that authentication of his message again. Uh, you know, call it like the endorsement from God, because if he's doing these kind of works, where does everyone assume they're coming from? From God. From God. Yeah. So just, you know, got to remember that. 
But think about this. Jesus is in the Galilee. Okay, so you got Jerusalem. You're going to go a little bit to the north. And I guess maybe they're there because they're in Capernaum. They're a little bit to the east as well. But his fame is spreading. It's going all the way to Syria, which is further northeast of the Galilee. And the Decapolis, that's over on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They're, they're on the northwest corner when they're in Capernaum. So just to give you a picture, uh, people are coming from all around. And when you include the Jeru- uh, Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan, this is a really big geographic area. It's really big. People are coming from all over the place. Uh, scholars, I mean, I don't know how they know this, but a bunch of them, you know, they try to figure out how many people could this be. And, you know, they number it in the thousands, whatever that means. That may help you or not. I don't know. But my point is just to say, look, he's got people coming from all over the place. It's a big geographic area. Even scholars trying to figure, they think maybe it's numbering in the thousands of people showing up for all this stuff. Isn't this just strange for the guy who's trying to stay under the radar? Yeah. Shutting up the demons, don't say anything about who I am. It's just really funny. I I don't know. It's a weird thing. Now, also, it's kind of important to point out that immediately following this little bit in Matthew that we just read, that's where the Sermon on the Mount is. Hmm. And so we're going to treat the sequence a little bit differently, but it's just kind of funny. That's the thing that's coming up. So Mm -hmm. good stuff. What else do we got? I guess we got to move on here a little bit. Oh, oh, this is really good. Yeah, we can fit this one in. Let's do it. All right. So Matthew uh, chapter eight, verses two through four. Also Mark chapter one, verses 40 through 44. And then Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. Now, again, this is a lot of similarities between the story. I'm only going to read one. I'm going to choose Mark this time. Says this, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. And said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Okay. Wow. This is good. Now, if I could just say it real quick, Jesus is warning him again. Don't say anything. Mm -hmm. He's got crowds from all over the region coming in. It's very, very strange. But anyway, let's, we got to talk about leprosy, Samuel. All right. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to make this understandable. So number one, when we think of leprosy today, Samuel, what do we think of? We think of that disease, skin condition where everything about the physical appearance and nature of your skin is just havoc. Yeah, the funny thing is it actually relates to nerve damage and the inability to feel things and you get injured and infections and, you know, I mean, it just, it tears you up. 
you I mean literally you got like parts falling off you know mm-hmm. I mean you can, it can be so so bad but that's hansen's disease that's modern leprosy that is not what we're talking about here so the big question is okay then what are we talking about well number 1 it's it's actually any of a variety of skin conditions and they actually render a person ritually unclean, meaning they can't go in the temple, they can't participate in the festivals, they can't actually be around other people because they are ritually unclean, they are impure, and they're going to give it to someone else, and then now they're not going to be able to be around God, participate in the stuff, right? So that's like this general basic idea. And if you want to understand more about it, it's... it's uh fabulously interestingly uh fabulously interesting reading samuel <laughs> leviticus 13 and 14 you can go there for a closer look but uh, there's so much more to say about this so try to stick with me here since this impurity this ritual uncleanness could be contracted by another meaning samuel if i had it i could give it to you by touching mhm and now, now you are in the, the position of, now you've got to go get some ritual cleansing, okay? You've got to go dip in the mikvah and do all the stuff. You don't actually catch my disease, but you caught my ritual impurity. And you got to go get that taken care of. And you have to be especially careful. Because if I'm a guy with leprosy and you get it by touching me, you can actually give that impurity to someone else. Mm-hmm. Now, it only goes, I don't know what else to call it, like one generation or one copy or, you know, whatever, but it's still, it's like a thing. It's it's a bad thing. You don't want to be around it. That's why they're put out of the camp. Nobody wants to be around them. It's trouble, trouble, trouble. So they were outcasts as long as they had this skin condition. Now, here's the point. Uh, this gets so confusing and and we need to like run through the list of possibilities. Number one, Samuel, is it possible that this skin condition, could it have been communicable? Is it possible that I could give that to you? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Is it possible that it's not communicable, that I can't give it to you? I would think so. Yeah. All right. Both things are possible. And we're not making an all-out black and white statement about that. But what we want to do is focus on What is the real concern with leprosy as we see it in the scriptures, Old Testament and New? The real concern is about the impurity, the uncleanness, ritual uncleanness. It separated them from the entire community, including their own families. And there's another thing, Samuel. There was a very, very common belief that when you had these skin conditions, this, this leprosy, that it was caused by God and that it was not natural. Oh, boy. Again, we're not trying to claim, hey, this is 100% certain, it's black and white, no possible way this could be a natural thing. I don't know that that's true. It could be true, or it could have have been a natural thing. The focus, though, is on the impurity. So what are we talking about here, Sammy? Do you remember... Uh, at Moses, he's talking to God. God's saying, I want you to go to Egypt. How will they believe me? And he's trying to, you know, God's giving him a few little magic tricks to work, right? Remember, one of them was, hey, stick your arm in your sleeve. Now take it out again. Ha ha, what happened? Oh yeah, didn't it become 
white as yeah leprous leper. yeah yeah so there's a, there's an example of God doing it not natural how about Miriam remember when she and her brother Arad were kind of talking bad about Moses what happened to her didn't she get leprosy leprosy how'd she get it God gave it to her hmm. right so this is how this idea is coming about and there's more Samuel if you would I want you to go ring go read Second uh, Kings. Chapter 15, verse 5. Mm-hmm. And the Lord touched the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the household, governing the people of the land. Yeah. So do you see it? God touched the king so that he was a leper. Hmm. Now, uh... Let's see, what else? Oh, well, okay, so this is similar. It's kind of the same story, uh, but I don't know what it is. Somehow between, uh, you know, like Kings and Chronicles and stuff, sometimes you get these weird name changes, so that's what's going on here. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter 26, verses 18 to 21. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked to him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord." And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Yeah. And that is a, a much more detailed, much longer story. But you see it again. It was God who, who did the, the giving of the leprosy, right? Now, I'm, I, again, I'm only pointing those out because this was a very prevailing idea of this time in, among these people. They, they were pretty convinced if you got some of this leprosy stuff going on, well, God did that to you. Now, again, let's go back to the text that we're looking at right here. And notice, the leper does not ask to be healed. He asks to be made clean. Hmm. And, okay, we could say, well, that shows great faith. You know, that, uh, that's good. And, you know, he's submitting to Jesus, if you will, right? All, all that. that, that's all great. But you can even see it in this text and in the mind of this, this leper that's coming to be healed. In his mind, he wants to be made clean. The thing that's important to him is the ritual uncleanness, the impurity that comes with the leprosy. So, it, I don't know. It's just an amazing thing to see in the text. And hopefully... You'll never read it the same way again, because mm-hmm. usually we see that and we say, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. I, I you know, I will, you can make me clean. Uh, we, we just make the translation in our brain that he's just getting healed. And yeah, I mean, it's true, 
but you can't miss the important part, the part where they're focusing on the cleanness, the purity. So it's just, I don't know, it's a good picture. Now, something else that happens in here, uh, notice he said that Jesus was moved with pity. And we usually think uh, with pity of something more like, uh, what, Sammy, would you say like sympathy or yeah. sorrow? Sim- or yeah, yeah, sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Well, the funny thing is, the Greek word under here, it carries a sense of anger. And so you might actually look at this and go, Jesus is bothered that this guy is suffering. Isn't that a great picture? Yeah, it kind of gets into that righteous anger aspect of God in the Old Testament. Yeah. Now, the other thing, and and I got to say this because different people are going to be reading different Bibles. The earlier manuscripts, okay, they've got the word that's more like pity and which is actually like anger. The later manuscripts, they actually use a different word. So there's there's a textual problem here, if you want to think of it that way. And that word is actually more like what we think of as pity, the sympathy and, and that kind of thing. It's just, I get that picture in my mind of if I'm having an issue, if I am somehow burdened thinking that Jesus is going to see me and my life and be angry at the thing that's bringing me pain or trouble or sorrow, that just, that's like the most heartwarming thing ever. Hmm. You know, Jesus isn't, he's not feeling sorry for me. He's angry that, that this thing is affecting me and, and he wants justice. He wants it to be made right. I, I, I don't know. I love that image. It's good. All right, so what else? Uh, We already talked about Jesus touching a lot of people back there at Peter's house. Here's another one. He's touching the guy. But remember who he's touching, Samuel? He's touching a leper. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, Jesus just became ritually impure himself. He just became unclean. Now, I say that, and I, I feel pretty confident about it because this isn't the first time, probably. Maybe it's the first time we've talked about it. It definitely won't be the last And we got to get this out here. Being unclean is a natural part of human existence. It can't be avoided. It's not sinful. It simply requires a cleansing ritual. So here we have this beautiful picture of Jesus. It's, It's mercy and compassion and love. He could have just spoken. But instead, he offers a very personal, intimate touch, knowing the consequences. And the consequences weren't just for him, because as we mentioned, if you touched a leper directly, you actually had the ability to make someone else unclean or impure. Now, the thing is, the text doesn't explicitly acknowledge any of that, but it also doesn't deny any of that. So the argument that goes on is something along the lines of, hey, this is actually suggesting that Jesus was incapable of becoming unclean, that Jesus, Jesus's cleanness was powerful enough that he actually passed cleanness to the leper, but he didn't get any himself. And you know what? Maybe. And if so, that's kind of cool too, right? Or maybe the text is just assuming that we know the normal outcome. You don't have to be told what happens when you touch a leper. Everybody knows, right? Okay. 
I'm not going to push it too hard. Could be either way. But we're going to see a number of cases. And and I think imagining Jesus as a human, because he's, he's trying to live as a human, I think it's important that we see it's okay for Jesus to become unclean. It doesn't hurt the story. It's not sinful. It doesn't make him any less divine or anything. It's just, hey, if you've got a human body, that's going to happen to you. So uh, we see another case of the word immediately popping up in the word of Mark. But in this came, this time, actually, it kind of seems like uh, it really is the no elapsed time kind of deal, <laughs> you know. So anyway, Mark just uses the word a lot, whatever. And uh, even though we've just heard about all these gathering crowds, Jesus still trying to keep things quiet. Now, Matthew and Mark make it super clear that the leper was to say nothing, nothing to anyone. Just just don't say anything. But there's one other little bit, Samuel. It's the last thing we'll say. I know we're kind of pushing the time here, but this is so important. Jesus has already made him clean. And I think we can also say Jesus has healed him, right? He's done it all. But what does he tell him to do? He instructs him to follow the Mosaic law. And this is a big deal. It's a lot of sacrifices, a lot of ceremony, a lot of everything. You can Again, you can go back to Leviticus 13 and 14. This was what was required for any leper in Israel to be able to return to society, to their home, to their family, to all of it. The priests needed the proof in the flesh. So if you imagine Jesus as somehow bringing an end to the law, and in this case, I'm talking about a termination of the law, well, this would be a very strange thing for Jesus to do. Why is he sending him off to the priest to do all this law stuff? But we're suggesting it's not strange at all, because Jesus isn't bringing an end to the law as in a termination. What we actually see, and we're going to continue to see this over and over, he fully supports the law. He is a living and breathing endorsement of the law. What he is bringing is the end of the law, as in like the goal or the target. He is. When, when you see Jesus, what you are seeing is what the law is supposed to produce or what the law is supposed to lead to. Mm. He is it. And so it's not, the law isn't the bad guy either, just like the Pharisees aren't the bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got to see that picture. Jesus is sending him off to do all of the stuff because it still has value. It's still important. That's really good. Um, All those things that you said, and I I know that we're running long already, but I'm, I'm just worried to leave this space without asking you this because it could be something that some people are really struggling with with this new knowledge of what biblical leprosy actually was in first century Judaism even before that uh, you know in the the establishment of the Torah and everything particularly the the point that the common belief was that it was caused by God and it was not natural and we have those examples of characters in the Bible in the Old Testament that um, received this leprosy from God, like yeah. Uzziah, in that situation, it seems like it, it, it came for a purpose uh, 
in response to maybe an a disobedient reaction or yep. so someone straying from the path. In this case, Uzziah was in his anger towards the priest. And so my question is, how are we to treat the, the deeper purpose of biblical leprosy? And let's just use this man in this gospel account. Um, was the leprosy given to this man because of his sin or for something that God wanted him to work through? And then especially with like, Jesus expressing that anger well if it came from God like is he angry because of this of the suffering that is producing in the person in the man's life or is it something um like anger with how the outcome how the solution is not being produced in the man's life mm, boy those are all good questions um I, I think the one that I can answer and feel pretty confident about is if we're talking about first century Israel, they definitely saw this as, yeah, you've done something wrong and this is the penalty for it. It wasn't something that God just did to people at random. He did it because they had somehow messed up. And so they saw it as, you know, sin or uh, rebellion or something of that nature. That's the way that they saw it. Now, stepping back and going, okay, but 2020 America, what are you thinking, Paul? Well, I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I, I think like other things when they thought, well, it was a demon behind sickness. Well, maybe not. Maybe it was just bacteria or you know something like that. So I, I have to look back and go, well, yeah, I, I don't think so. Uh, was this type of leprosy only, only, only caused by God, and there was no natural version. Of, I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. I think it probably, probably was a natural thing, and and then you see God working in those things and demonstrating those things. And of course, I mean, I'm not denying when God gave people leprosy, He really did it. It really was from Him. Um, but I think I think we're kind of uh, in that place of recognizing. Look, there was something. There was something to their thinking about it coming from God and it being a result of sin and that kind of stuff. But I think we also can look at it and honestly say, yeah, but I don't think that was the whole story or the end of the story. And so on to your other questions about, you know, what exactly was Jesus angry about? You know, is it is it the man and, you know, what he did to bring this on or that he was suffering with it or whatever? Ah, so hard to know the mind of Christ. <laughs> but I would say, I take it, you know, and I'm looking at Jesus and, and you see so much mercy and compassion, and all that stuff. My initial response would be, Jesus was just, he, he, he gets angry because he sees people who could have this perfect image of God life and yet what they're experiencing is so much less than that, and, and it, it is a suffering, it's an oppression, and it's injustice in, in Jesus' eyes, and he wants justice, and so his anger is toward the injustice, and, and he wants to see it made right. Anyway, that's how I would say it. Now, I don't even know if I answered all your questions on that. It's okay if you didn't, because I think that it's, like we said earlier, it's meant for us to wrestle with. Um, those are really hard questions, and I hope yeah. that it's a a good ending 
challenge to people who have made it this far in this episode to <laughs> continue <laughs> to right. re- continue to wrestle with it because those are those are big questions uh with your journey of faith and your life with God so yeah they really are yeah we're leaving them with a boy that's a lot to think about but you know what it's good for them because everybody listening to the podcast has grown up so much in the time we've been together yeah if you're uh (laughs) if you're feeling really heavy from all this in this episode you should just go read go read psalm 150 and praise the lord just praise the lord over and over again that'll do it for you yep (laughs) all right we need to get out of here okie dokie thank you for listening to the okie dokie most podcast Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you are notified when our episodes release on Sundays at 7 p.m. so that you never miss an episode. Our podcast is now available on all podcasting platforms, so please make sure you check us out on your electronic device. You can also visit our official website at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. Finally, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us any questions or comments you have at the email address okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we hope and pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.